Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lucy. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I just want you guys to know, I've had one of those days where everything has gone wrong, just everything. Um, And I keep just telling myself that God has a plan. Um, And I just don't happen to know what it is right now. And... um, or maybe it's just that God knew I knew how nervous I was about speaking, so um, he decided to distract me all day long. <laughs> I dragged my sponsor into the bathroom. I was like, oh, my God. Um, so we got down on our knees, and um, I just want to talk about what it was like before I got in here. First of all, I came into the rooms about five years ago. Um, I became abstinent about two years later. I had many relapses. I, I actually don't know how many, maybe about six or so. I'm not sure. I would get to 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Finally, I got to six months and uh, relapsed at a wedding. They put large bowls of pasta on the table in front of me. And, uh, and then I went back and started eating cookies. Um, and that kind of, like I don't even like to think about it, that kind of incomprehensible you know, I just couldn't stop. And I could see these two big cookies, and I was like, I'm losing my abstinence. And I was taking the cookies and just kind of shoving them in my mouth. And I have a friend in program who talks about eating like a lady, and I can see it when I'm just, you know, all of a sudden there's like drool kind of, and there's sort of my hands are up here. And it's like, it's like I never went to school or learned any manners or something like that. Um, I'm down probably about two sizes. I cannot weigh myself because my my scale is my higher power, and unless it's 125, I'm not happy. And then when it gets to 125, then I start eating. So I I, I really can't do it. And I used to travel with my scale, and these were in the old days, and the scale was that big before you had, like, luggage allowances. And I would go somewhere with my boyfriend, I would unpack my clothes, and then I would unpack my scale. And I would weigh myself about three times a day. And um, that's what it was like before I got into into program. Um, my abstinence is breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack. And um, so I'll tell you a little bit about the childhood compulsive overeating. Um, when I was about six, my parents moved overseas, and I was incredibly lonely. I was the only white kid in my grade of about 250 people. Um, I was severely ill often and had to stay home for three months at a time. Um, My mother and father would, for whatever reason, not take me to the doctor. I would have to beg to be taken to the doctor. I would get severely mauled by dogs. I would say, yes, come get me. They wouldn't get me. I would get rheumatic fever. They wouldn't take me to the doctor. And so I figured out that what to do was to read and to eat. And um, so, for example, my mom would pick me up at school, and there it was a third world country, so there's no pasteurized milk, but there was this one place that had sort of this fake ice cream. And I would always want to go there. And they had this fake ice cream, and then they had this, like, bright red cherries and little green, like the sort of carcinogenic stuff that you put on, <laughs> you know, with bananas. And that was kind of my, that was my big treat. And even then, I would start to eat these huge things, and I'd get halfway through it, and i think it's just not satisfying me. 
And I really was incredibly, incredibly lonely. So I would live in another world. I would just keep reading books. And when I mean reading books, I mean several a day. Like I would start, I wanted to be completely in another world. I just wanted to be out. I wanted to be away. I very accurately assessed that my parents weren't that interested in hearing from me at all. Um, And so that sort of started my compulsive overeating. And my mom gave me a Betty Crocker cookie cookbook. And I had this little Betty Crocker cookbook, and I still have it. And sometimes I go through it, and I'm like, what can I cook from there? Nothing. And um, <laughs> and so I would keep myself entertained at home. There wasn't any kids, really, in my neighborhood. Um, it was actually a very dangerous lifestyle in a lot of ways. Um, my particular bedroom was set up against the jungle, and I would be chronically robbed while I was in the bedroom, so I would go to stay with my brother. I would be, I would have a lot of ticks, you know, so at night when I couldn't sleep because I was terrified, I would pick off these chicks I mean it was it was a pretty dangerous in a lot of ways and then finally when we left um, you know my parents kind of left us on our own so for example we would take a bus into Afghanistan it was not what I would call high luxury traveling and then my parents would leave me alone in a hotel room with dysentery and they'd go out to dinner and so I learned very very early on that nobody was coming and that I better take care of myself and that I better get my comfort where I could find it and i better get it quickly. And when I tell you this story, I feel like terrified, but I didn't feel any terror until I came into the rooms. And people would say, oh, they're fear-based. And I was like, what's wrong with you? I don't feel fear. I don't really have any fear. I I want to tell you, I feel a lot of fear now. And, you know, sometimes I feel kind of like, well, that's not really the promises of the program. But, I mean, I really can feel my fear. Like, I'm scared. You know, my dog's getting older. I'm scared about her dying. Like, I'm I'm scared. I, I can... I can really, like, feel stuff. You know, it doesn't sort of go away. Some stuff was happening today at home. I'm like, I'm scared. You know, I, I, I can really feel it. And um, I think that a, a lot of that eating, you know, was a desire to, to, to push all that down because I, I knew I wasn't being particularly well taken care of. So I got back to the United States, and I didn't really fit in because I wasn't really American anymore. But there was a great thing. Our next-door neighbor was ran a bakery. They ran a Viennese bakery. So I would manipulate my friend to taking me to the bakery. And then we would have, like, and all this time, too, I was a very serious ballet dancer, so I was constantly aware that I I had to be thinner. Um, And sort of, as you guys probably know, the the standard, particularly then, um, not so much now, was, like, beautiful, thin, like, blah, 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 blah. And I, I always wanted to be like that. So from very early on, I was looking at you, or you, or you, and going, okay, how can I be like them? I'm not okay the way I am. I'm not okay. If you knew how awful I was, how many horrible things I'd done, you would you would not hate me. You would be disgusted. And even until very recently, I wouldn't like to get near babies because I feel like I contaminate them. I would feel like, like I was just this mass of sort of bad habits and garbage. Um, And I carried that with me, even though in many ways I was very successful in school and and successful elsewhere. And my parents were sort of this golden couple, and everybody loved them. They were very smart, and they had a lot of money, and they went to fancy schools. And so everybody was like, oh, you're so lucky. Your parents are so great. And I'd be like, oh, my God. Well, then, why do I feel so incredibly bizarre? And then I would just keep eating. And my parents had this one bread drawer they still have, and I still go back to the house, and I sort of look at it like... Wow, it's still there. And I used to stand, I open the bread door, and I stand in front of this bread door, and that's where the cookies were. My mother has food issues, as does my grandmother. They're both great cooks, and a lot of conversation about food. A lot. 
and I would stand over this bread door, and I would eat cookies, and I would put different toppings on them, you know, butter, cream cheese on top of the cookies. Or I would, like, go through, they had those old days of frosted animal crackers, and I would be absolutely convinced that if I got the right one, I would feel better and I would stop. So I would take ones with a lot of sprinkles and then ones with less sprinkles and the ones that were white and the ones that were pink. And this would go on and on and on like that. And then um, I finally lost quite a bit of weight, about 25 pounds. Am I talking too much about my childhood here? Okay, five more minutes. Okay, um, who wants to know? But I finally lost a bunch of weight in my quest to be the perfect ballerina. And I was coming down um, like a hallway at my school. And I looked at myself and I thought, oh, my God, I, I, I'm not thin enough. Like, I'm not, I'm not thin like my girlfriend. And um, kind of in that moment, I think I kind of gave up. And part of what was going on, too, is I went to a lot of very serious religious schools with sort of old-time scary religion, like God hates you, God's not going to forgive you, you're a bad kid, you have to do penance, la, la, la. So I was constantly saying stuff like, God, please forgive me, I'm not perfect, please forgive me. And then I'd be like, well, I'm not perfect, so I might as well go do whatever I wanted. So so my sort of attitude towards things was as long as you could get a lot of attention, you could be bad, you could get good, you could get straight A's, you could get F's, whatever you want to do, just get a lot of attention, you know, do whatever. And then I found guys, and then, of course, I had to hide my quote-unquote fat body. So what I would do to hide my quote-unquote fat body was I would walk around with my friend's father's bathrobe. And, like, this bathrobe. And then we would go swimming. Of course, you can't swim if you think you're FAT. And so I would swim in jeans. Like, that looks normal, right? So I'd be swimming in jeans with, like, a bikini top or whatever. And, and because I was in such extreme shame. And I would fall down, I had this scar on my chin, and my mom would say, well, you know, you're falling down because you're so, you're so big. And um, I don't think, actually, I'm about 5'7", maybe 5'6 and a half. I got maybe, this is how high I got, which wasn't that high. I got to about 164. I stopped weighing myself then. But I used to just open the refrigerator and just stand there. You know, I would just stand there. Sort of, you know how you sort of stand there and magically wait for the food to appear? I would just stand there and, and, and wait. And then um, I went through one summer where I had this really hot boyfriend. I actually didn't have him. He was actually somebody else's boyfriend, but I wanted him. And, um, and he was also sort of famous, which was helpful. And, um, and I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And... Um, and my father had told me to leave the house and not come back till I got a job. So I was back about an hour later. And he said, do you have a job? And I said, yes. And he said, what happened? I said, I went to the bus stop, and there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken, so I got a job. And so I got this job, and I decided if I started eating the food, I would gain weight. So I could never touch the food. So what I ate that summer was cottage cheese and Perrier, because Perrier was like the new cool thing, and it was like this wonder drug, you know, and you're supposed to drink Perrier. I don't know why, but you're supposed to. And um, then uh, we drank a lot of alcohol and smoked cigarettes, and I lost, like, 20 pounds on this really good diet. So um, that worked. I mean, I, I tried hypnotherapy. I, um, that summer I went to this place this before they had gyms, and so they sort of had these weight belts, and so you just stood there, and the belt went around your waist, and it just sort of jiggled. And, and you didn't really do anything. You didn't really move. You just sat there and jiggled, you know. And... 
and all the ladies kept saying, see, it really works. Lucy's lost so much weight. But they didn't know I was trying to lose weight for this guy and also not eating the food at Kentucky Fried Chicken and spitting the cottage cheese out of my mouth. And by the end of that summer, what I tried to do was be bulimic, but it didn't work. So I, I heard that if you took too much poison, what you should do is eat a lot of mustard. So I ate like, I don't know, half a can of mustard, and I, that didn't work, and it just made me feel sick, and that was my one restricting experience. Um, so then uh, I became an actress, and my first play, they said, you're too fat. So what I did was um, I had this little ritual of comforting myself, and I would go after school, and they had, those the days you didn't have Diet Coke, you had Tab, but I wouldn't get the Tab because it didn't taste good enough. I would get the real Coke, and I would sit to the right of the vending machine, lean against the vending machine, and eat a couple packages, let's say one to two packages maybe. I'm surprised I didn't have more, actually, of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and I would eat them from the outside in. It's like this whole kind of <laughs> self-soothing um, kind of thing that I did. So anyway, then I went to boarding school, and there's nothing to do in boarding school, let me tell you, but eat. And so um, we would have snacks. I would have eight. We'd have contests. I would have eight glazed donuts for a snack. Oh. And then um, we would go to Denny's because that's all there was to do. And we would smoke cigarettes and try to drink and find boys, but I don't think that went as well as the eating. But, um, <laughs> so that's what we would try to do. And then in college, again, I felt lonely and rejected because I really felt like if I was thin, like I, I have this sometimes I know people who think if they were married, everything would work out. I really felt if I was thin, I would be okay. Clearly, I couldn't be a ballerina. I wasn't thin enough. I couldn't be an actress. I wasn't thin enough. Guys didn't like me. I wasn't thin enough. And I had to talk to them while holding in my stomach. And I noticed that I was doing that yesterday. I was getting takeout food from this guy who was kind of cute. I thought, oh, my God. I'm, like, talking to him. Like, well, I'm holding in my stomach. I can't believe I was doing that because he's, like, a cute guy. Or, or I used to talk to people, like, if I would they would be my boyfriend, I would never, I would back up from the bedroom because I didn't want them to see my rear. So I was always sort of at a side angle, you know. I, I mean, so I wasn't in a relationship with anybody. I read this article once that said that addicts are in relationships with substances and not people. And really until very recently I was in relationship with substances and not people. And part of what I found out in this program is that I can be in a relationship with a lot of substances at once. Um, so what happened was, after this kind of demoralization, I went to a nutritional analyst or somebody, like counselor, and she happened, thank God, and thank God for her, she happened to have a lot of years in OA. And so she had me tell her food, and we would do these basically things, and, and, and she would say, you need to go to OA. And she would say it pretty much every month, and I wouldn't go. Now, I'd been in a 12-step program once, and I knew it worked because I got to the seventh step, and I thought it worked. And, and so I kept saying, no, they're really great. It'll be fine. I, you know, I know about them. It's really great. But I really thought that, um, you know, like it would be convenient, right? Like somebody would come over and say, do you want to have an OA meeting? Or I would, I would drive through. It would be like Jack in the Box, and there would be an OA meeting there. And finally, what happened one day, and it was around February 22nd, um, 2006, I had gone to one meeting before that, and I thought, oh, these people just make me want to eat. That's disgusting. And I didn't, um, I didn't go back. Uh, that was around 1988 or so. Um, so I was at the beach. I had binged that night on both food and alcohol, I think, because that's kind of how my binges go. This is what I do. I'm a night binger only. I really don't binge that much during the day. I don't know if I think, like, God's out during the day and he can't see me at night or something, but I, I'm only really a night binger, and I usually binge after dinner. So what I would do is I'd have my normal dinner, and then I would go into the pantry with the intention of having one cashew. 
And I would go, I would go to where the cashews are, and I would take out one. And then there'd be more almonds, so I would take out one, and then three, and then I would exit, and then I would come back. So the cashews were here. Then I would move to the chips, or bags of those. Then I would go around the corner to the freezer, and um, and start making concoctions like uh, ice cream with you know peanut butter and you know, amazing things. And there would be cherries and peaches, and then I would finish that. And then I would go, oh, I know, you know, I'll have a glass of wine and watch TV. And then I'd have like four glasses of wine at three or something and watch TV till four o'clock in the morning and then it'd be time to binge again and stalk a few boyfriends on the internet. And then, (laughs) and so this took me all night long, all night long. And it took a long time with the boyfriends because you have to check out their new wives and you have to see if their wives' arms are more ripped than yours. And then you have to look up how much money they're making just in case that's not going well. And so, so I'd be exhausted. So after one of these... I can't remember what I did that night, but it sort of went like that. And here I am at the beach, and it's one of those gorgeous Southern California days, and my stomach, I feel like my stomach's hanging over my legs, that there's cellulite everywhere, like even on my head. And I'm looking at my husband, and he's surfing, and I'm thinking, everybody on this beach is happy but me. And I cannot tell anybody how I'm feeling. I cannot call my sister. Cause she, what she says to me is, well, just stop, because she's, she's normal. Just, just stop. Put it down. You, just, you know, she said it to me before. You know what it does to you. She's a little bit bossy. You know what it does to you. And, and you know, I couldn't tell anybody. So I called this nutritional consultant. She said, "You've got to go to an OA meeting. You're isolated." And in that moment, I got what isolated meant. I thought, "No, no. I'm popular. I'm extroverted. I'm not isolated." I wasn't telling anybody what I was doing. I wasn't telling anybody that there were, you know gigantic, there were bottles, you know, hidden under the couch that I had gone, I had gone to get my husband to see his candy, taken out ladders to get where I thought the candy was hidden, gone under the couch. Like, I'd be like going up, it was like Indiana Jones looking for the candy, going up, going underneath, anything I could do to get that fix. I couldn't tell anybody that. I couldn't tell anybody I felt disgusting and I hated myself and I had been in years and years and years of outside help, years, which I don't have anything bad to say about at all, um, other than it wasn't helping me with, with, with my eating. So and it, it, I don't think actually could have. I don't think it was anybody's fault. And I would go to see these wild gurus in West Hollywood and be praying and meditating. I mean, I went to see a Turkish healer who told me to suck on a sugar cube and say three Hail Marys. I mean, I, you know, basically, if you said you could fix me, I gave you money. And sometimes they gave a lot of money, and sometimes the results were absolutely humiliating. Like, humiliating. Um, you know, like trainers would take pictures of my back and my fat. The dermatologist was like, I'm going to cut out your fat bags and take a picture of my rear end and point out where the extra was. I mean, I felt humiliated. So after that morning, after I called this woman, um, I started going to meetings. I went to them uh, often, once a week, um, sometimes every two weeks. Um, I showed up late. And basically what this woman did, which was very, very smart, is she said, I don't care how long you stay, just get in the room. I'm so grateful that she said that to me because that's the only thing that got me in. It, it, and I got in the room and I acted like I knew everything, and, but I would raise my hand to be a newcomer just because I wanted people to know my name. I would come into this meeting at 6. meeting starts at 5.30, for those of you who are listening on the Internet. Um, <laughs> at 6, and I would leave at 6.30. And one of the things my sponsor asked me when we first um, started working together, she said, where do you sit? I thought, where do I sit? 
you got to be kidding. I sit near the door at the back of the room so I can get out fast and come late. Um, so this went on for two years of me visiting the program, coming in and out. And I finally got a sponsor. And um, and I have to check myself now because now sometimes in meetings I'll be like, they don't have a sponsor and they're not working the program. Yeah, that's right, like me. You know, and I really have to like, like, what am I, program warden? I mean, uh, this is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I'm not secretary of every meeting. It's completely absurd. So, um, so finally I got a sponsor and we started working steps together. And I went to Paris, which is my favorite place on earth on vacation. And I said, I'll, you know, I'll call you and we'll do our third step. Great. So I go to Paris. I plan my first meal. And when I mean I plan it, I mean I call those people up who are having me over dinner. I tell them what I want to eat. I have that meal, I come back to the hotel, I open the mini bar in the refrigerator, and I start binging on cheese crackers. And I forget. I forget. I wake up the next morning, and my first thought is, oh, my God, I've broken my abstinence. I actually think at that point I'd gotten to nine months, having gotten to 30. and I couldn't get past three days of abstinence. For the newcomers in the room, I could not get past three days. I had one day to binge, one day to feel like crap, one day to be perfect, and the next day to feel the tension start winding up again where I needed to start binging again. So... And it took me two years of this kind of behavior. Um, so I can just beg of you, beg of you, just to stay. You know, if you're not doing it perfectly, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know what the steps are, don't worry. Just stay in the room so you don't have to suffer. Because I think a lot, I suffered alone. And it was, it was bad. It was awful. And it, it hurt other people. It hurt my husband. And, you know, it really hurt people in my life. Um, so where was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Paris. So anyway, so I binged, and the whole two weeks was ruined because I couldn't figure out what made me happy. It never occurred to me to go to a meeting in Paris, of which I've now found there are many. Um, I just kept, so I go, okay, I feel really unhappy. I'll shop. I'll feel really unhappy. I'll drink. I'll feel, I feel really unhappy. I'll go to a really fancy show and pay a lot of money for a ticket. You know, it, and I, I, I was like, I am at the perfect place on earth. I am in Paris, and I am unhappy. Clearly, I am totally effed up. That's it. I get back to um, L.A., and I take one look at my dog, and I can see she's very ill. I rush her to the emergency room. She goes in and out of the emergency room for 12 days. So I call up my sponsor, and I say, you know, I'm really sorry I haven't called you, but my dog's really sick, and I know she's dying, and, and um, can you help me? And she said, well, I've moved on. You know, you said you were going to call in a week, and I haven't heard from you in a month. I've taken on other sponsees. And I put my head down on my desk, and I started crying. And I called up a guy I knew in AA, and I said, you got to help me. I'm just in really bad shape. I'm, I'm like, this is bad. And he says, okay, I know somebody who knows somebody. Just stay by the phone. <laughs> and, I, and when I mean I stay by the phone, I don't move. <laughs> I don't move. I mean, because this is the news. I am, I am really ready now. Okay. Again, to recovery in, in a second. So I'm really ready. So she says, call this girl. And I'm like, oh, no, I think it's a scary girl. It's the scary girl with the blonde hair. And I'm like, oh, no, anybody but the scary girl, please, God. So I call the scary girl. The scary girl answers the phone. And um, she tells me what to do, you know, right about surrender. And she tells me to meet her at the meeting, and I'm in the back row right there, and I'm praying harder than I've ever prayed in my life. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. Thank you. Oh, my God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And um, that was about the 20, 20, 28, 27, 20, 28, 27, you don't care. I care. The 25th of January, the 28th of January, I became abstinent, and the 29th of January, my dog died. And I was totally present for her death. I was with her 100%. 
I was completely focused on her. I lay next to her saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, and I was there with her, and I've been abstinent ever since, um, thanks to God and thanks to my um, sponsor, Leslie, in this program. Um, how things have changed for me, I can go to the Hollywood Bowl without eating you out of ho- house and home and myself <laughs> and uh, without taking the other person's food. I'm still a compulsive overeater. I took, um, my girlfriend was taking food to take out the other day. It was all I could do, not eat, eat off her plate. I go to five meetings a week. I have five commitments. Um, I do that because it helps me see my fellows. Um, I can go to Starbucks and not think about what I want. I went to my stepdaughter's wedding without eating everything. I was a little disappointed I didn't get to have the dessert buffet, and I thought about it for three days, but that's how my sponsor told me I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, On a daily basis, I get down on my knees. I work the third step a lot. Um, Because of my childhood being so alone, I have a really strong will. I try to work the third step all the time. Um, There's a lot of habits that I've developed in this program that I didn't have thanks to my sponsor and to my higher power. I was always late. I didn't pay my bills on time. I didn't have gas in my car. I didn't have money in my wallet. I get those things done just for today. I've actually found myself being like the first person places. It's it's just amazing. Um, I never had that ability before. Um, My career is literally better than it's ever been in my life. I don't care that much about my body anymore. Not like I'm not incredibly vain, because I am. Not like I don't want you to think I'm the biggest star in the world, because I do, or the best speaker, the best whatever. I definitely do, but I really don't care that much about the way I look. And I had a brief stalking problem last night on the Internet, and I saw a picture of me about two years ago, and I've lost a lot of weight since then. And I looked at myself and I thought, wow, you just look like a fat middle-aged woman and you really just, you know, wanted to make this guy's wife feel really bad. Um, but you know what? I don't, I don't care what I look like anymore. I, I, I really don't. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. And I know that that's really hard if you're a newcomer to imagine. Really hard. And it was two years before I started losing any weight. And I just gave up. I was was like, okay, whatever, I I can't do this. One of the things that really helps me is I pray before every meal. Like this morning at breakfast, I was having this kind of bulky-ish meal at a diner that my husband likes to go to, and there's really nothing I can eat. So I had to pray to leave the food on the plate. Um, I I do that a lot. And, And what I can say for a fact in my life is my higher power removes what I cannot do. I had been through every diet. I had been through every ignominious relationship. I had paid people to help me lose weight. I had paid trainers. I had paid some effing Hollywood nutritionists who gave me stomach problems. I had, you know, I had done all that. Now, if you don't know how to contact your higher power, don't, don't worry about it. Sometimes I say, drop to the knees, my knees in the kitchen, I say, just please help me. And, you know, I don't believe it. I honestly don't believe it. And, like, sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of times it does. So if you're new, it will work. I had to go to, um, I was about to say Vietnam. No, Vegas. Um, I had to go, same thing. I had to go to Vegas, um, or I felt I had to. Nobody put a gun in my head, but on business. And I was really concerned, so I committed my food to somebody. What I've learned about myself is if I'm in a dangerous situation, I really have to commit my food, and I don't like to. I'm very willful, and I want to because I want to be like I'm so free. I'm just going to pick out what I want. That does not work. Um, so I committed my food. It was a tough evening, but I was in bed in Las Vegas at 10 o'clock at night, which has to be the earliest I ever have been. I thought, okay, please God, help me get through the next three days. The most amazing thing happened. I got a phone call. You've got to be back in LA by five o'clock. I was like, thank you, God. I never could have arranged that. 
Four days in Las Vegas at that point was going to be very hard for me. Every time I think I know the answer or I don't know the answer, like what's going on in my house right now, God has a plan, and the plan works out. Even if I don't believe it, that the plan works out, God has taken food out of my mouth. I mean, seriously, I've taken food out of my mouth and thrown it down the... And I don't know who does that. I'm like, whoa, the food just went down the drain. And, and you know, I've had, you know, I've known I've had my, you know, glasses of wine with dinner, and I know I'm starting to hit, like, where I'm just compulsively consuming sugary wa- water, right, fermented sugar. And if I pray, because I can have a problem with alcohol, too. If I pray, I, I have thrown stuff away. I have, I have been able to do it. Um, and, but it's not me. It's higher power, because I can't do it, and I, I don't know how that I don't know how that works. And I know for a newcomer it sounds like magic and it's not going to work for you. And I, I mean, anything you think, I probably thought those things, or not anything, but um, maybe a few things. But um, it, it really, really, really does work. You know what? Um, I was going to tell you the problems I had with the steps, but I don't think I'm going to. Um, I think I'm just going to um, say thank you very, very much to Mickey for asking me to speak. I'm really grateful. To Leslie E., my sponsor, for helping me in every area of my life possible. I am, um, I just want to mention my husband once. Can you imagine my husband in all this? This poor guy keeps saying, You're not present. I'm like, You're a jerk. But you know what? I wasn't present. And I'm really trying very hard right now to heal that relationship and heal myself in the, in the process. Because I, he was not as important to me as other things. He was not. And, and he knew it. And, um, and that's kind of what it's like uh, living with an addict. So I just want to thank you so much. And I want to particularly thank the people in, my, in the room that are in my home groups and that call me up and write me when I'm away. And you guys make such a big difference. And this is really a we program. And I was I my whole life. And what I've learned is if I ask for help and make this a we program, I can do it one day at a time. And thank you so much. Any questions? Um, person next to Justin. That's such a great question. Um, the question is, when I'm talking about the tension that builds up internally, when I'm feeling like binging or feeling like overeating, what do I do and does it go away? The answer is sometimes I use the tools. And sometimes... Uh, Thursday night I had a bad episode. I did not use enough tools. I call my sponsor. Lots of times for me personally, this is not something I necessarily recommend. I will work out because I can tell it's like tension, and so I'll ride the bike and sweat a little bit. And one thing is I only do um, forms of workout that I like now, like dance or I like riding the bike because I can read or dance or yoga. I'll work out because it kind of kind of chills me. Um, or I'll call a fellow and we'll laugh, or I'll commit my food to a fellow because I still get that, oh, my God, I've had a really hard day. Or oh my, uh, Particularly with me, excitement is really bad. I'm like, oh, I'm so great. Yay, celebrate, da, la, la. Not good. It doesn't go well. So um, when I get that feeling of tension inside, I, I try to work all the tools of the program, making outreach calls, stuff like that, writing. Thank you. Michael. Thanks, Lucy. How do you work step 11? Yeah, I can, actually. Um, On a daily basis, I do my reading and writing. I try to do it first thing in the morning, and I do a very brief meditation. I write um, a tenth step, God, I have fears, list. God, I have resentments, list them. My assets are, God, um, please remove these fears and resentments. Please remove them now. Um, 
I can't remember exactly, I desire uh, to know only your will for me and the power to carry it out. And what I've started doing is whenever I'm early to something, I meditate. Whenever I have a chance to be uh, quiet, I meditate. Um, Instead of getting on my Blackberry, I meditate because I want to reduce the amount of franticness in my life. So I try to, whenever I can, I also do it because I know certain things trigger my higher power for me. Birds, hummingbirds, dogs. I don't know why that is, but I try to go, oh, there's a hummingbird. That's God showing in my life. Oh, there's the dolphin. Oh, my dogs. I'm just happy right now, peacefully patting my dogs, just being kind of one with the universe. I also use this, this prayer of St. Francis a lot. And when I first started reading, I realized this. I got my hands through his feet. And, and it says, you know, slow down. <laughs> and I, I couldn't slow down. So I try to just visualize being a channel, being a channel and be one with the universe. And I, I do try to work that pretty hard because I'm pretty, as you can tell, pretty sped up. Nancy? Thank you. I do not keep foods in the house that are an issue for me. I really don't. And I had some um, cheesecakes in the house for about two days, and I started getting that shoving food, and they went out. I do not keep food, and I will sometimes even hide it behind something so I can't see it. My husband has his foods. Um, I don't do what I used to do, thanks to the, the grace of God in this program. I don't search out the seized candy anymore, but I don't keep foods in the house that really speak to me. Mm-hmm.